The number one goal for demand gen marketers has always been focused on new business, aka generating pipeline and revenue. More and more demand gen marketers are now being asked to support NRR and GRR, though, and many of them don't know where or how to get started. On DGU this week, get an inside look at how we're prioritizing customer retention as a marketing team, what we're doing, and what we've learned along the way. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right. Well, I didn't tell you this yet, Jason, and I think we've always talked about doing this, but I just came off of a Zuma happy hour for one of our metadata teammates who's leaving us for a better gig, but I actually have a beer inside this thing. Oh, nice. Nice. I thought actually about getting <laughs> drunk before the, um, <laughs> seeing how it went, but yeah, I skipped the happy hour. <laughs> I have a couple beers, but probably not enough to get wasted. So, well, so I, know I know we've talked about it before, but I would imagine most people have no idea why we're talking about drinking and doing a podcast. So why don't you let people in on what your idea was? Oh, yeah. So uh, if you've ever watched that show, Drunk History... I think it's on Comedy Central. It's where do people they, do know, they still do it? By the way, I don't, I don't know. even know if they still so. do it. It no, was it's like, amazing, but keep going. Comedy yeah. Central is <laughs> only South Park and The Office now. I think that's all. <laughs> that thing. No, it was like it was just hilarious. You'd get these people that were knowledgeable about these history topics, and they'd get literally like smashed, and then they'd explain it, and like the vignettes behind the scenes that they make for it are really funny and pretty hilarious. But so I was like, hey, let's let's try that sometime. Like, let's just get hammered. <laughs> And then let's take one of these topics and try. I think I still think it's a good idea. Like, I think we should try it at some point. I want to do it. Yeah, I think. All right. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Because, <laughs> yeah, that should be fun. But we have to be like legitimately drunk, yeah. you know, like not. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Like, like drunk, drunk. Yeah. And I think for those who haven't seen it before, it was part of that funnier die comedy troupe, right. whatever you want to call it. So the actors who were re or I guess reenacting the scenes are very recognizable people that yeah, you would yeah. recognize from movies and TV shows and you name it. Like it's big name people. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great show. And then you learn <laughs> stuff too. Like you learn and you're being, uh, uh, comedic. <laughs> you're being made funny. I see. <laughs> wow. It's going to be a great episode. <laughs> you're made to laugh. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Maybe you should go grab a beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, babe. <laughs> Me up a beer stat. Yeah. I just thought of the scene from old school when he's washing the car and he's got the beer on top of the car. He's like, no, honey, I got a fresh one right here. All right, let's bring it back on the rails. So not as funny as old school or funny or die, but still very relevant these days is customer retention. And I think for me and probably most people who are listening, this is the first time that I've worked on a marketing team where customer retention has been a like a focus and a responsibility. And I think given everything that's going on in the outside world right now, it's very easy to see why it's a priority or becoming more of a priority for marketing teams, but it's really unfamiliar territory. Yeah, I had the luxury of working at one place where our marketing was primarily focused on customers because it was Getty Images. And this is a company that was started in like the 60s. And I think at the point it was like, we had sold to everyone possible that we could sell to. And although that wasn't true, but the business was just becoming less technology enabled. And like, then all of a sudden images just became ubiquitous and everybody had them. So it was like declining new business. So it was just almost like a 80% focus on customers. And so I didn't like it. Let me, let me tell you that it wasn't the most fun <laughs> because 
the business wasn't doing well. I think they're doing a lot better now, but I don't know what they did to pivot. But yeah, it was kind of like uh, cut my teeth a little bit there on it where you're just kind of like, and it's not just customers would stay with Getty, but it was all about like growing the business. So they'd stay forever. They'd like, but it was like trying to grow the business, trying to come up with new products, new offerings, new ways of package and price and all that stuff. And so, yeah, it was, but it was because the business wasn't doing super well on the net news, it wasn't super fun, but here and in this time, and actually we have not ever been like at metadata. We've never been at like that 120% NRR number that all SaaS companies really want to get to. We've well, hold on. I'm going to interrupt for a second for people. Hopefully they know what this is. Just define NRR and oh, GRR yeah. real quick, right. and like, let's get into what you're about to say. Good point. Yeah, I'm just throwing around letters <laughs> like everybody. Yeah, yeah. So GRR is gross renewal rate, and that's just based on, and we look at everything based on dollars. Some people look at it number of logos, but for us, it's how many renewal dollars were up in a given quarter, and how many of those renewal dollars did we close down? agnostic of upsells. So it's just taking the original contract value. How much of that did we save or lose? So that's the gross renewal rate. And then the net retention rate takes the upsells into consideration. And so that's why your net retention can be hundred over 100% because you're basically saying, not only did I save it all, but we actually grew some of our customers or the more reality is we lost some customers and we more than made up for those customer losses through upsells and, and cross sells and just increasing the value of those contracts. So, so yeah, so I think that I did think I did a pretty good job on that one. Sometimes I stumble around on that one, but I think you I got nailed it. it. Yeah. 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 I, I actually used to think GRR was just a count of renewals until I got schooled on that one too. But, but yeah, it's based on both, both are based on dollar amounts. So we'll get back to the first point that you started to make before I interrupted you, but it was for a good reason. Why do some companies measure NRR and think that's what they should be focusing on and not GRR? Because I think you can game NRR and hide some things that are happening in your business. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I know the direct answer. What I do know is like when you're going to raise money, VCs are looking at the NRR. They look at both, but I think they focus more on the NRR because when you have more than 100% NRR, it's less work you have to do on the new business side. And so it's just like, a it gets you closer to your goal, your growth goals. If you're less than 100% NRR, then you're actually having to make up for it in net new. And so it's not only, let's say you have these growth goals for net new, but now you're also taking a chunk of the churn and you're having to make up for that just to hit the total company growth number because all these numbers go into the total company growth. If you're growing NRR, it's over 100%, all that money just goes to like those growth goals. And so, yeah, I think that's why, but. Yeah. No, I don't know why I feel like a teacher and I'm grading your answers, but that was a good answer too. So <laughs> you got right. it. Yeah. So let's bring it back to the point that you started to make, which is people follow Jason Lemkin and read all of his Saster stuff. He's always talking about NRR and getting it to 120%. And then he'll talk about the snowflakes of the world that are at, I want to say they do like 160 or 170% NRR. And it's like, what world? Like, that's insane. We've never really been able to get close to that, which is like best in class B2B SaaS performance. So I'll let yeah. you take it from here. Yeah, it's, and we've scraped the, we've had quarters over 100% and, but not close. I think I don't, actually, I don't even know what our highest quarter was, but for us, it's, in a lot of companies, SaaS companies, early days, like when you're really early, you might not have product market fit. You might not exactly know, so you're selling to really anyone that'll buy. A lot of people don't have experience with the products. So they don't have peers to ask, like, am I going to be successful with this? 
they buy based on what they're seeing and hearing and they're in your marketing and you're selling, but it might not be the right fit. And you learn that over the first couple of years, hopefully pretty quickly, but that can be a pretty big component of churn in your early years. For us though, we're, we're still early, but not super early. We just happen to be tied to ad spend pretty directly. And so sometimes it's just a, something that happens when people get their budgets cut. It's like, oh shoot, I've got my ad spend budget cut by 50%, 85%, whatever. And because we were and have been so tied to ad spend, it was an easy decision for people. It's like, oh, well, if I don't have this money to spend, then I don't need metadata. And so we realized that pretty early on and we started to make some pivots and started to build some product and acquire product to help us get out of that tie to ad spend. But we're still living in that. We've got customers that signed on a year or two years ago based on whatever their contract was coming up now. And so if their budgets are intact, cool, they usually stay. If they've been uh, slashed, <laughs> then it's harder for them to join the club. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like I, I don't and I don't fault our customers when they make that decision, because what other decision could you make? Are you going to keep paying us five thousand dollars a month and spend five thousand dollars a month in the ad channels? That's probably not very smart. You probably get fired for that. So most of our churn has been economy economy related, but that's also you can't continue to run a business that way and just say, oh yeah, we do when the economy does well, we fucking suck when it doesn't. I mean, no one's going to want to invest in that. And so that begets building new product, coming up with new approaches and some of the stuff we've been trying. But, but yeah, a lot of, something a lot of companies are, de are dealing with right now, like a lot. Well, so I think everything that you said is true, but I think it's magnified a little bit with MarTech because yeah. MarTech just seems like a bloodbath with NRR and GRR always because people think that they can rip and replace tools frequently. So I think yeah. for as bad as it is in B2B tech right now, I think it's worse in B2B MarTech, not making an excuse, just stating what I think the reality is. Yeah. And like, it makes sense because there are 9,000 tools. And if there's 9,000 tools, but every person uses maybe a hundred of them, there's a bunch of tools that just are not necessary. And so they get bought when times are good because you have extra money and you want to try it. You want to see if maybe it's going to actually help you in some areas. But then when things get tight, you just go back to the must haves and you start getting rid of all these like nice to haves or oh, that might've saved me a little time or I can do that myself or then that starts to come back in or, or we're just not going to do this at all anymore. You know, and that's another. Mm. So to start getting into the lesson about this. So I'm curious how you'll answer this prompt, but I wanted to figure out when did this light bulb start to go on for the company and really for the marketing team that we needed to focus more on NRR and GRR. So for me, I thought of the weekly revenue meeting that we have with marketing, sales, CS, and a few other teams. And for a while, CS would give an update as here's the projection, here's where we're at right now, here's how we're pacing. And that was really the extent of what I heard about NRR and GRR. And at some point last year, it started to change in that it was being talked about much more frequently and definitely coming out of Gil's mouth and the leadership team's mouth. So like it's what was happening behind the scenes that yeah. like, turned the light bulb moment on for us. Yeah, it was basically that we had goals to just continuously progress those numbers until they got to 120%. Because as Gil was fundraising, we've been through a series A and series B since we've been here. That was always like, wow, 
you guys look like a damn unicorn in every single metric. Oh, but look at NRR. Like that was the one that was always not quite there. And that was like the only blemish on our like VC scorecard, really. Everything else was like super solid. Our growth rate on net new, customer just like G2 reviews, all these other things. It's just everything was looking really good. Um, and so we were like, great. So because that was the blemish, the goal was, all right, let's improve that. Let's make a plan to get to 120%. We had a pretty step plan. I think it was over a year's time frame, which during the high growth times, that's reasonable time frame. Although it should probably take two or three years, maybe in a normal company. But and <laughs> I feel we like what getting... you just said, that statement applies to a lot of things that we do yeah. at MedMetadata, but yes. <laughs> but then we weren't hitting those goals. And it was, and we would, there was a lot of focus on it, but our focus was more in the last mile. It was like, oh, here's all the customers up for renewal this quarter. Let's go figure it out. If you're doing it at the quarter when they're renewing, you're three quarters too late. And so that was our first go at it. It was like, okay, because that's where you focus. When you realize you have a problem, let's focus where we think we can make some. And so that's where we focused that last mile. And that helps a little bit. But then we started to do these, we would do these just crazy things, not super crazy, but we would. So one of the things we did that kind of fudged the numbers a little bit is we would go out to customers that were having immense success and we'd ask them for an early renewal. So let's say we we're in a current quarter. Yeah. And we were at like, shit, we're at like 75%. We need to get above 100. Okay, well, what customers do we have in that next quarter? We can pull in early renew and we count that plus any upsell for that. That's kicking the can up the hill. So like at some point- Literally the definition, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at some point, you're gonna run out of those like early renewals and then you're gonna have to suck it up and you're gonna have a shit quarter because you're gonna, all of it's gonna come true up. And so that happened. We also- early, early days, we sold a lot of swap deals. And so then we were like, those swap deals, we didn't want to do swap anymore. And so we would see if they want to pay and then they wouldn't. So they would churn. So we also had a lot of just deals in there that were kind of back alley handshakes that we had to get off the books. And so we just decided to take the hit during that time. So that was really the light bulb moment. It was just, we had these goals and we weren't just, we just were not meeting them. And we knew that this was like the only blemish on the, on that VC scorecard. So it feels like, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer for this, but it feels like maybe this time last year, maybe early summer last year, that it then became the moment of, hey, we really got to do something about this. We can't keep doing what we're doing. We've got to change how we're trying to solve this problem. And I think at that time, people who've listened to previous episodes, like we had more resources, whether that be budget, people. We had a customer marketing manager. We had a customer education manager. There were more people that we could throw at this problem and uh, it got cut. So then it turned into, all right, the people who were sharing this responsibility are no longer here. You still got to figure it out. And I think from that point on, we've been trying to figure out how to do more with the stuff that we have, like everyone's doing right now. So yeah, we had all these grand plans. We had three, like you mentioned, we had three resources across the company that were focused on enablement, marketing to customers. We were double down, doubling down on it. And then we had to come around and make some budget cuts. And so in marketing, it's like, well, hey, if our, and our primary goal in marketing was still net new ARR at that point. So we we're like, hey, if that's still the, our primary goal in marketing, then I guess the customer marketing manager is the person that I've got to lay off because that can't be our focus. So CS, you got to handle all this customer renewal stuff. But then other people lost resources that also were there to enable customers. And then at the same time, our hypothesis was, 
we're doing too much for our customers. They don't even want to put in, they don't want to even put their creatives and the, they're just looking for not all, but like we saw a lot of churning customers were looking more for an agency and they just wanted somebody to do it all for them. And we realized we might've oversold the platform to some people. There was a while there where people would ask, do I need an agency? And we just say, no, just flat out. Nope. Don't need an agency. We'll, metadata can do everything. And so one of our plans was we need to get the customers more self-sufficient. And that was part of why we hired all these customer marketing and enablement people. Cause it was like, we need to develop materials and videos and documents and onboarding and adoption and certification programs and all these things. And then all that slowed down when we had to let all those people go. So then this puts us into this scenario where we're in now or in the fall of last year until now, where we don't have customer marketing people. We don't have enablement people for customers. We've got good people to help onboard and stuff, but we don't have these dedicated resources. But yet NRR, GRR is still our number one goal. So now what do we do? So that's a situation that we've been in the last six months or so. Yeah. And I think it, it was tough because we knew at that time that the people that we unfortunately had to let go, like we were losing good people too. So it wasn't a performance issue. It was just, this is the unfortunate reality of what the business has to do. So we went from having, I would say, luxury of the amount of resources that we had to solve this problem to then not having any of those resources and still having the problem and then trying to figure out, well, how are we going to solve this? Yep. So this is where we get scrappy in metadata <laughs> marketing, like we always do. So yeah, so we've been supporting it in lots of different ways. And I think we're going to talk about some of those here coming up, but just because you don't have these resources doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to do the work, you know? And so that's one of the things that I thought maybe I could get away with it for a while. No, you know, we don't have the resource, so we can't do it. No, no. If it's the number one company goal, then every team should be figuring out how to support that in some way. And so we've gone through different routes, but we're now coming into, as we're building our plan for the next couple of quarters, how more specifically, how we're going to support it. So this is related. It's off script, but let's talk about that a little bit more before we get into what we're doing as a marketing team. So. To summarize really quickly, we have a new SVP of customer success. I forget how long Alan's been here, but it feels like it's been at least what, five months, four months. I was, I was getting us like, six, like close to six months. And we've got this approved marketing plan that we all put together. You repeat it with Gil, went back and forth on it. And really NRR and GRR activities were not in that plan. They weren't a goal. So we thought that, hey, because this is what the CEO says and signed off on, we don't have to worry about it. Well. Alan was asking for more things, and this is where I'll kick it over to you and your initial response. And I may have uh, told you to do this, so I'll take some blame for this too. It's just, hey, this is what's in the plan. What you're asking for is not in the plan. Therefore, we can't do it. And that wasn't the right answer. Yeah, no, we don't really have a culture of no <laughs> here at Metadata, which I don't mind, but it would actually be nice to be able to say no sometimes. But this was a little short-sighted on my end too, but it was... It was just in, under the general guise of we've got to protect our team's time in some way. So we have to be able to say no to some things. This seemed like the cleanest one since we didn't have resources. But then once it becomes the company's number one goal, then there's just no excuses. You've got to do something to support NR. But even as, as like recent as several weeks ago, I was trying to get like us to like, I was like, the only thing we're going to do is we're going to support content that actually has an impact for customers, but also for net new, because then we can use it in both areas. But I got walked back off of that too, but pretty easily. Only easily though, when I can trade off some net new things so that we can focus on 
GRR, not just add it to the plate. And so those are the conversations I've been having recently. It's like, okay, what are we going to let go of or not do as hard core or not go after as hard so that we can actually put some real focus on GRR and supporting the renewals. And it was and honestly, never like, a matter a of that, not wanting to do the work. It was just, Hey, right. the plate's already full. Something's got to give here. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, and I want to do it right, which means we got to start in the beginning of the customer life cycle with us and, you know, enough of this, like, let's fix it at the end when they're already upset or maybe they're not upset and maybe we lucked out, but let's fix it from the very beginning all the way through the first year or two or whatever their contract is. And so that's where I want. And of course we'll help with like objection handling and things like that as necessary, like we are with some of the content, but primarily I want to see what can we do in the, from the beginning so that we're setting in that relationship, right. And what can we do from a marketing perspective to carry through that relationship and just help build it for that first year so that the renewal makes it renewal comes easier. So perfect segue. I've got a few of these that are seed topics that we can talk about, but let's talk through some of the things that we've started to prioritize and work on to, to help support NRR and GRR. Yeah. The first one is our community. So we have our demand community. And in the very beginning, we weren't really thinking too much about customers. It was kind of like, yeah, we're going to invite customers in and they'll get some benefit and there'll be some cross-pollination. So if non-customers have questions about metadata, they'll get answers from customers. And maybe the customers can help self-support themselves. You know, um, somebody asks a question, another customer answers it. Here's how I'm doing it. But it wasn't a, it wasn't the main focus of the community. But our community manager, Katie, she actually really enjoys the customer piece and also helping customers. And the community has become and is becoming, will become, all of them, one of the ways that we support customers and, how, and help support GRR. And right now, I would say, because we haven't really focused on it, we've got like a customer channel and it's private for just customers in there. And there is activity going on and Katie does support it, but we're going to shift her from really focusing on net new growth of the community to growth within customers within the community and then making sure that customers are like attending the events we have are engaging in the community are getting support from each other are getting support from us and so the channel customer channel in the community is going to become a lot more used we're going to be popping more stuff in there we're going to be having more activities and things like that and then we're going to have a stronger focus on trying to get every single one of our customers in that community we think that's probably one of the best ways we can support it that is also tangential to like the net new side, because we do want to have a demand gen community we can do both, but we can have Katie, for example, one of our resources focus more of her effort and energy on the customer side and then let the other side just manage itself, which is kind of doing right now. And I think for me, and this is obviously I'm on the marketing team and I'm close to some of this stuff, but I think it's still a little bit of an outsider's perspective because I'm not super involved in this presently. I got the feeling that we were trying to educate customers and enable them in probably five or six different ways and different mediums and different people were doing it. And it was a shotgun approach. And I think what we've tried to do over the last couple of weeks and we'll continue to do throughout the rest of this year is this is the place where you are going to get all of your training, enablement, education, you name it. There is one place that you yeah. go to for this. And if you're not in there, you're going to miss it. Whereas before we were trying to just take guesses as to how a particular channel or medium would work. Yeah. And we may need 
other supporting technology. We just use Slack in the community right now. Yeah. And that's okay. It's great for conversations and threads and some other little side things that like polls and like other things it can do. But in terms of like having a place to go where you can maybe see documents that you might need in order that you might need them in or in some kind of a marry it with some kind of an education or learning management system where people can go through things, but also be in the community and be asking questions. So it could be that ultimately we'll need a different technology to support the community. And I don't want two technologies. I don't want like a bunch of the community in Slack and then some in this, some other thing. And so we may have to do like a whole hog transition on technology in the community, but yeah, I want it to be able to support other things like learning paths and certification maybe programs and things like that, adoption, Events, even like hosting like webinars inside yeah, of it. Like exactly. We can do product releases and like those kinds of things. And so, yeah, we'll see how we morph this thing. So the next one's a little bit of an easier one to talk through, mostly because I don't have to talk about it at all yet. You do this a lot. So joining critical customer meetings and what you've done and you've offered me up to do this too. I do it occasionally, but I feel like you do it more than I do is just anytime CS needs the marketing team and you in particular, you are there for them on EBRs outside kind of one-on-one -on -one advising sessions, you name it. So just walk everybody through what that looks like in your world. Yeah. And part of it helps that you and I are the face of metadata for the most part to marketers. And we've intentionally done that over the last couple of years. And so we, people know if they get value from what we're saying or not, just because we're so public with a lot of things. And so some people are like, yes, having time with me or you is actually valuable to them because they already see what we're talking about. They know they're going to get some value. They want to ask questions. They want to see what we're doing. Because it was just some random marketer behind the scenes. It might not work as well. It might yeah. not be like, hey, you want to meet our VP of marketing? Who is it? Oh, it's Joe Schmo. Oh, really? What are they? They, they wouldn't really have the connection point maybe that they might because we're so local and social. Mm -hmm. So I think that does help, but sometimes people feel like it's a treat. And I'm like, no, this is not a treat. Like, yeah, wait till the end of the meeting, then tell me if it was a treat or not. But, and then some of the CS team members have realized like, oh, if I bring one of these guys on, the call might go better because these are experienced marketers. The CS team are not as experienced in marketing as we are. A lot of them have a lot of marketing experience, but they're younger. And so they, and they haven't as deep of experience as we do. Or maybe successes. I don't know. Well, and I love our CS team, so I just want to stick up for them here for a second. The expectation that CSMs anywhere should be knowledgeable about your particular product and the area of expertise, like it's an insane expectation to have. Like they're there to help you get value out of your tool, but to think that your CSM is also an experienced marketing strategist, it's not fair. No, I know, but we do have them. You know what I mean? I know, I know, I yeah. And that's one of the things we realized too early on is, man, people want, people need help with marketing, not just using the tool. They actually need, there's a lot of bad marketers out there, y'all. Like, and I was pretty surprised by that, but no, CS team is great, but there's, they haven't been in marketing leadership roles. A lot of our customers want to understand, like, how do I take these results and how do I actually put it together and show my leadership in a way that makes sense to them? And so they need some of that kind of like, how do I present this or how do I talk about this? And so some of them need some of that. And some of them just want to talk about campaigns and what should we be running? But bringing it back, we set up built to do five up to five a week, 
which was not a ton of time, but it's a decent amount of time. If we actually did that for the course of a whole year, we would have touched all of our customers by that point. And it just helps build the relationship. It shows that we care about their performance, not just that they renew with us or that, that yeah, that they're using the software. Are you having marketing success? Because that's really what, if you have marketing success, then you're probably going to renew ultimately. Mm-hmm. And that's just another good connection point. I just love talking to marketers and I learn new things from those meetings too. But yeah, it works well. I like it. Yeah. I don't know why I was shitting myself earlier saying I don't do this because I literally had two of these calls today about this exact oh, yeah. <laughs> topic. So yeah. well, for an example, just so people listening can understand like what we're doing, one of our customers is struggling with trying to convince their leadership team really of, hey, measuring leads and MQLs is not the holy grail. I want to start moving closer to opportunities, pipeline, and revenue. How did you all do this at Metadata? And it's almost like little coaching sessions that sometimes have a little to do with the platform. Many times have nothing to do with the platform, but it's really just building that relationship and trying to make sure that they're more successful in their role and in their team. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I know I would like that. (laughs) So let's go to the next one. And I think this is something that we've fielded quite a few requests on over the last probably month and a half or so from Alan, from CS, from sales, and it's creating content that helps metadata overcome objections. And sometimes this is during new business conversations. Sometimes it's during renewal conversations, but in a time like this, why do I need metadata? Can I just do this with XYZ solution? And let's talk about what Alan and I guess team had raised to you first before we get into what we did. Yeah. And this is really your area. Um, from my perspective, I just kept trying to say no. <laughs> so like, Hey, it was Alan, like, you know, like a lot of our customers are thinking they can do things better with an agency. Can you guys record a video and write a doc? It just felt like he was prescribing like all these things. And I just felt overwhelmed. I was like, wait, you want a video and a doc and a, this and a, um, and so I'd say, well, you know, let, let me see, let me see what Mark's doing or let's see what we can do. But then one day I couldn't make a leadership meeting. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to bring this up. This story is oh, hilarious. Yeah. So keep going. <laughs> so one day I was on vacation and I couldn't make one of our leadership meetings. And I had actually forgot that Gil asked me, hey, whenever you can't make it, can you have Mark attend or someone else on your team, which would be you? And I said, yes. And so it's like, 10 minutes before the meeting starts. I was I declined, working on something. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and I declined the meeting because I, I forgot to decline the meeting too. I get an immediate text from Gil. Did you just decline the meeting, the leadership meeting? I'm like, yep. I forgot to decline and I'm on vacation. He's like, oh, okay. Who's going to be there in your place? I'm like, oh, shit. He's like, oh my God, I forgot he asked me to make sure I have a... So I was like, Mark, <laughs> immediately text you. I'm like, Mark, oh my God. We have five minutes to make a meeting. Can you please attend for me? And you're like, what are we talking about? Should I be prepared with anything? I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm trying to ski right now. <laughs> it was horrible. I felt so bad too. I was like, because I had fucked you over on something else the week before on accident. And I was just like feeling so bad. I was like, oh my God, I hope the meeting goes okay. And they don't like, because I knew in my mind, I was like, I feel like somebody's going to realize I did this at the last minute and just give Mark a hard time. I was like, I was worried that was going to happen. <laughs> I don't think it did, but this is where 
we'd been like back and forth with Alan and like trying to figure out what do you want? Like I'd created this form for his team to fill out, like an intake form for us. I'm like, we got to standardize and normalize all this stuff. And by the end of the meeting, you're like, all right. You're texting me like, I got all of Alan's requests in. Gil prioritized them. I know exactly what I'm going to be working on for the next basically one to two months. I was like, shit, yeah. <laughs> maybe I should go to less. <laughs> maybe I should go to less of these leadership meetings and have Mark go instead. He just got all this stuff solved. No, so I think to and this has a good ending because I think it one it was a good experience for me. I didn't realize it in the moment, but it ended up turning out well. So what we tried to do, and this was really the first time that I'd done this, was this. Many times when the marketing team gets requests, the request is in, I need this. And this is the specific asset or medium or whatever it is, which let's not jump to that. Let's figure out what is the issue and problem you're trying to solve for. Let's agree on that. And then we will tell you what we think the best medium is to solve that. So what we tried to unpack in that meeting was, all right, what are the most common objections that you're running into? Let's prioritize what those objections are. And then we'll figure out, okay, to do this, we've got to create a landing page or a landing page plus a one pager or a video or a blog post or a webinar or whatever it is. Not, hey, I need a webinar on this topic because maybe you don't need the webinar, but maybe you need something else. And I think that was a big learning moment for us. Yeah, no, it was great. And like, some of the like some of the content that came out of that you produced has just been like wow it's just like really solid content so i'm really glad that we did it cuz it also you know kind of made up for a lot of the no's that i was saying and i was kind of i was getting my reputation was getting a little bit like tarnished in the leadership team no i was saying no too much no i was a little bit yeah for sure and so like you just taking those on and like building those out really helped me out a little bit too and i think The other big thing before we jump on to the last part of the episode that I learned is this, is that when you are talking to the point of contact on a weekly meeting or your monthly meeting, whatever it may be, oftentimes the content that we need to create as a team is not for them directly at the end of the day. Oftentimes it's for their boss or someone else at the company who they need to sell or convince that metadata or your tool is a must have right now and that their life would be more difficult without it. So I think for me, it was like, no, I'm not creating content for the man gen marketer. It's I'm creating content for the finance leader, or I'm creating content for the marketing leader, whoever it may be. So like you're trying to arm that person at the end of the day with everything that they need to go sell your software internally when it potentially is on the chopping block. And I didn't realize that until going through this. Yeah. And I honestly, like the reason I kept saying and stiff arming these requests is because in my mind, I was like, what the fuck is one document going to do? I'm like, why do we need documents? Can't we just explain this? And like, but now that I see it, I'm like, oh, well, this is really good, you know, and having it done. Because if you say, oh, just explain it, then you've got 10 different explanations based on the CSM and what they know and what they don't know. And especially with this one that you just released about like, how are we different than the native ad channels? Like, why are we different? Why are we better? Um, that's one that nobody could really explain. Like we would try to, it was some people got it more than others. Customers would get different answers or left with different ideas in their head. And so just putting a static, this is the Bible of this answer together. And then just directing everybody there. And in fact, we were even asked to create PDFs of this stuff, which I was like, 
what are we at 95 right now? You're going to print it out? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to like put a stamp on it and send somebody like a printout version of what is going on. But hey, I mean, luckily it doesn't take that much extra effort. Yeah. The web page, but like PDFs, we're going to chisel this into a stone tablet. <laughs> but hey, sales team wants it. And actually one of the one pagers, I could see why they wanted it. It actually ended up with having an ROI kind of calculator thing with some actual values that they would input to it and then hand it off. I was like, okay, that makes sense as a one pager then. But yeah, yeah. so all this great content. At first I was just like, man, really just content? But man, they're happy right now. They're happy. They're like, this is helping. They just wanted ways to help tell the story better. And they think they it does this succinctly. So yeah, it's good. Now the last one, cause I know you and I love to talk and we're going over on time here, but we're really trying to double down on content that helps customers get more value out of the platform. And I think one of those areas that we're really trying to focus on in the coming weeks and months is playbooks. So why don't you talk a little bit about playbooks, where that came from and why we're so bullish on that for customers? Yeah, I just need to take one second. My water tastes like complete marijuana. And I don't know why I'm like, every time I take a drink of this water, it's, it tastes like the skunkiest weed. <laughs> It doesn't smell. I don't know what's going. I don't know what's going. I just cleaned my water bottle too. Anyway, that's the weirdest thing. Okay. <laughs> if you listen to this episode, when you listen to it, message Jason or I on LinkedIn after you catch this part of the episode because I can guarantee that you have not heard that on a B two B marketing podcast ever. And if you have, send me the link to that podcast. <laughs> and, it made, and it means you won't listen. So. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird. Yeah. I'm gonna have to figure this out anyway. So that's entertaining. I'm just gonna drink some more. That's what we need. Weed flavored water. Then I'll stay hydrated all the time. So playbooks. Yeah. Back to the real story here. So yeah, playbooks. We, I've seen some of these in the wild before we even did them, but not a lot. There's a lot more playbooks out there now, but really I think playbooks are becoming more of a thing because applications are becoming maybe more complicated and you can do more things with these applications that we have that are not just standard, like a straight line through. You can take like millions of different infinite branches and do different things. And so because of that, some people can get lost. And so playbooks for us is a way to say, oh, hey, customer X, you're having this massive success using our platform in this kind of interesting way that maybe we didn't think about, or we did think about, but we didn't know if anybody was doing it. You're having mass success. How about you, how about we write a document about exactly how you're doing it. We give you credit for it. And we release these playbooks and we put them accessible from within the platform even, but also make them accessible to people externally because some of the playbooks even are just like metadata agnostic. Like it doesn't even matter. You don't even have to have metadata to use the playbook. So just here's how to do a good marketing tactic. But the reality is like, it's very step-by-step, literally like screenshots of the place you need to go and the button you need to click and the value you need to put in, it's very prescriptive so that you just know, like, it's a recipe. It's a recipe. Yeah. A recipe. No better way to explain it to get to a certain outcome. And ultimately we want to make these playbooks almost like one click, add them to the platform. So you're like, oh, I want to run this play. And then the metadata system actually just says, oh, here are the inputs I need. And then I'll make, I'll configure this entire playbook in the way that original person did. And then it just runs for you. And so you'll see us implementing, in fact, I saw some versions of it the other day in our web personalization product of just like, hey, here's a playbook, start, here's the inputs I need, and then it creates it for you. But for us, the content, it's meant to help 
pull out some of these secrets and these interesting things that people are doing and just making them broader, more broadly available to our customer base. So again, they have a chance of having more success with the platform. And then yeah. also at the same time, we get to promote our customers at the same time. So, oh, this is customer X that wrote this. And so they get some credit too. Yeah. And to tie it like all together with the community and everything that we're doing, we're having the playbook owners and who came up with the playbook do a masterclass in the community. So we're putting our customers front and center. It's not about us at the end of the day. It's about them. Other customers can go attend those masterclasses, ask more questions, and then you get, you know, your customers helping market the product indirectly when we don't have to put ourselves front and center. Cause I think it's that much more believable that way. I'm pretty bullish on it. I think the level of detail that I've seen in our playbooks so far has been amazing compared to the other bullshit playbooks that I've seen from other competitors out there. And we got to figure out how to keep pumping out more of these. I know it's something that we talked about today as a team, but the feedback so far has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. People really like the playbooks more, th more so than I, I thought they would, but yeah, now it's a race to like, all right, let's build as many of these as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it seems everyone is doing the playbooks right now. They're either calling it a playbook or they're calling it something similar. And it's a race right now in MarTech. And I think we've just got to figure out how to sprint faster than everybody else right now. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. Uh, well, awesome. We are a little over on time, but I think it is worth it considering we might now have a weed water sponsorship for DGU <laughs> coming in the next couple of weeks. If not, let's start that company and see how it takes off. But thanks everybody that made it this far. We'll see you on the next episode for DGU. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Demand Gen U. Demand Gen U is brought to you by Metadata the no BS marketing OS. B2B marketers use Metadata's marketing OS to drive more revenue without all of the manual and repetitive work. From running paid campaigns to personalizing web experiences to optimizing everything to revenue, Metadata automates all of this. This means less time spent on low value tasks and more time spent on strategy, creativity, and driving revenue.